genealogy in chapter 10 talked about the nations. This genealogy in chapter 11, beginning in verse 10, the genealogy of Shin, is specifically the genealogy that leads us to uh, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So if you go to the Gospels, in, in the Gospel, the genealogy there, uh, to, in Luke's Gospel, actually, Matthew's Gospel, it takes, takes Jesus back to Abraham. But Luke takes the Gospel, the genealogy, all the way back to Adam. And this is the genealogy that Jesus came through. He came through the line of Shem. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that in terms of Abraham when we get to Abraham. So let's read the first nine verses of Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11, Genesis 11 verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they have all one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. <clears throat> Father, we ask that you would this morning open our hearts and open our minds, Lord, to the truth of your word, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, illuminate this word and reveal Christ to us, reveal the gospel to us. Lord, this is not recorded for us just so that we would have stories and, and historical accounts. Lord, this is recorded for us that we would see Jesus and that we would see the gospel of Jesus Christ and it would give us hope for our lives today and help us, Lord, to be reminded that we have a mission to carry out. Lord, a mission to make your name known as you build your church. Lord, we pray this to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis 11. So what's the gospel application? Well, one thing I want you to understand is that from eternity, God has been preparing for the coming of his kingdom. I want, you, I want to make that really clear. From eternity. So how long is eternity? Does eternity have a beginning? No. Does it have an end? No. From eternity. That means before there was a heaven and an earth, before there was any created thing, God existed within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God's plan and God's purpose from eternity was the coming of his kingdom upon the earth. And this is exactly what we're seeing in this story, in this account of Babel. So remember, as we began our journey through Genesis, we said that God, throughout the entire Old Testament, God is painting with shadows 
but he paints the shadow while holding the substance in view. So when God created Adam, Adam was a shadow of who? He, Adam was a shadow of the substance who is Christ. When he created Eve, not from the dust of the earth, but from the side from the very life of Adam, Eve was a shadow, and the substance God held in view was the church birthed out of Christ, from the life of Christ. So when we come to the flood story, and we come to Noah, we see that the shadow that God's painting with was the cross, was the judgment of this world that he brought about in the cross. And so you have shadow and you have substance. So at Babel, God is painting the city of Babel in contrast to something else. So a good artist uses contrast. And what does contrast do? Contrast brings out highlights. It highlights details. It brings out that which the artist truly wants you to see. And this is exactly what God is doing here when we read this account of Babel and the nations that are one with one language, one people, and they purpose to build this city and to make a name for themselves. So God paints the city of Babel in contrast to Zion, the city of God. Or another name for Zion is the Holy Jerusalem. We are shown the plan, the plan and the purpose of man in Babel against the plan and the purpose of God manifest in Zion. We see man unified in the flesh against God at Babel, and we contrast that with man unified with God in the spirit at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Babel initiated the scattering of nations into many in the world, but Pentecost initiated the gathering of nations into one in Zion. Babel is the scattering of one people into many in the flesh, and Zion is the gathering of many people into one in the spirit. Babel is the work of man in the flesh. Zion is the work of the spirit of God in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are no longer of Babel or of this world. But you have been born again in Zion and are of the Spirit of God in Christ. Babel is the antithesis. The word antithesis just means contrast or an opposition to. It's an opposite. It shows us the contrasting view. Babel is the antithesis of Zion. Babel is man trying to reach heaven. Zion is heaven descending to earth. God's plan was never, listen, that man would reach heaven from earth, but that man would be of heaven in the earth. God's plan was never that you would reach heaven from earth. This is what every other religion in the world teaches its disciples, its followers to do. It motivates them to reach heaven. Some call it nirvana. Some call it an ultimate state of consciousness. Some call it heaven, paradise. But whatever they want to call it, the means of reaching that is always through the works of the flesh trying to reach and ascend to heaven. That was never God's plan. This was the plan of man. This is what we see at Babel. The plan of God was never that we would reach heaven from earth. It was that we would be of heaven in the earth. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. So Zion is this corporate people 
who are making God's name great. Babel was about man trying to make his own name great. Let us make for ourselves a name, they said. Zion is about a corporate people who are making God's name great. So let's look at this concept that Babel is the antithesis of Zion. In the city of Babel, God paints with contrast to highlight the substance he holds in view, which is this city, the city of God we call Zion, or the Bible also calls the Holy Jerusalem, the bride of the Lamb, or the church. At Babel, they purpose to do two things, to build for themselves a city and to make for themselves a name. And God didn't allow the purpose of man to stand, but ultimately, he brought about his own purpose in Christ. So let's look at this statement that they make. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. You notice, now after the flood, the memory of the flood was very fresh, and so man decided, look, if we just all stick together, we'll build the city, and we'll build a tower that ascends into heaven, and if God floods the earth again, we'll be okay because we'll be above the waters. Now, this tells us a lot. This informs us a lot about man's sinful condition. First of all, God's already given a promise to man. He gave a promise to Noah when they came off the ark that he would never destroy the world again by flood. And so this is the understanding that the flood didn't solve any, the flood was never meant to solve any problem. The flood didn't do away with man's sinfulness. The flood was revealing something to us. It was showing us the solution that was still to come. The flood was showing us the cross and the Lord Jesus, who would ultimately judge the world and who would ultimately provide a way of salvation, and he would put away all flesh and no longer relate to man according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so man had this promise from God, but man has already turned again in rebellion because the heart of man is sinful. The nature of man at birth is sinful until we are, as Jesus said, born again. And so here they say, let us build a city and a tower whose top is in heaven. Contrast Babel with the city whose builder and maker is God, the city that's coming down from heaven. So the builder of, Bab of Babel was a man named Nimrod. We saw this back in chapter 10. And who is Nimrod? says he was a mighty one, a hunter before the Lord. That doesn't mean he was before the Lord like worshiping God. This speaks of Nimrod was an evil man. He was opposed to the Lord. He raised up, he rose up in opposition to God. And Nimrod was the builder of Babel. He was also the builder of a city called Nineveh, uh, which you read about in the prophet Jonah, which was so wicked that Jonah uh, didn't even... He ran from God because he didn't want Nineveh to be spared. Because he didn't think Nineveh deserved the grace of God. But here's the news for Jonah and all of us. Not only did Nineveh not deserve the grace of God, Jonah didn't deserve the grace of God, and neither do we deserve the grace of God. But God, because he is graceful, because he is good, because he is loving, gives grace to us. Even when we don't deserve it. And we never deserve it. But he gives it to us in spite of that. And so here is this city called Babel. Though it wasn't called Babel yet, it was this city that Nimrod was overseeing the building of 
in opposition to God. And we see this city in stark contrast to a city God will build one day. So both of these cities, Babel and Nineveh, symbolize the wickedness and the rebellion of man against God. Both of these cities reflect God's grace in the face of sin. So you have Nimrod who's building the city in opposition to God, but let's look at another character that we haven't gotten to yet in Genesis. His name is Abraham. Abraham trusted God and dwelt in tents and waited for the city whose builder and maker is God. Abraham waited for Zion. He didn't want to live in Babylon or Babel or any other city because he, by faith, saw a city, the Bible says, whose builder and maker is God. So he dwelt in tents because nothing, there was no city that could compare. So Abraham waited for Zion. He waited for the heavenly Jerusalem descending from heaven. He waited for Christ and his bride, the church. So let's look at the scripture, Hebrews 11, 9 and 10. The writer of Hebrews gives us the interpretation of what Jacob or what uh, Abraham was doing with Isaac and Jacob. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Then in Hebrews 12, 22, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. The writer of Hebrews, who is he writing that to? He's writing that to the church. He's writing that for us today. We are the church. And he says, you haven't come to, you haven't come to Sinai. You haven't come to the law. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of God. Hebrews 13, 14 goes on and says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. We have no continuing city here. No city will continue here. There's only one city that will continue for all eternity, and that is the city of God. That's Zion. That's the holy Jerusalem, that represents something very specific. This was and is God's eternal purpose. It was never in Babel. Look at Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read to you verse 2 and verse 10. Revelation 21, 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And then verse 10 says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. This is what Babel is in contrast to. Man trying to build this city that would ascend into the heavens was the work of the flesh and God says, no, that is not my purpose. My purpose is not a city built by man in the flesh. My city is a city built by me of the Spirit. And so we see that Babel is this 
antithesis, this contrast to Zion, the city of God. So God's plan, remember, God's plan for man was never that man would reach heaven from earth, but that man would be of heaven in the earth. So man's futile attempt to reach heaven from below symbolized man's pride and rebellion against God. Contrast that with Christ. Christ who descended to the earth, who humbly walked in human flesh in total obedience to his Father. Our works of the flesh will never reach heaven from earth. They only affirm our need for spiritual rebirth. Your good works in the flesh go nowhere, mean nothing. Because God doesn't relate to you according to the flesh. He only knows you by the spirit of life in Christ. Now that doesn't mean that we don't do good things. We just need to understand God doesn't love us more when we do good things and love us less when we do bad things. We're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. The reason we should strive and desire to live righteous and holy lives is not so that we can get to heaven and have a better position with God. The reason we should strive to live holy and righteous lives is because Christ, who is holy and who is our righteousness, is our life. And if Christ is my life, why do you act like a human? Why do you live like a human? Because you're human. If Christ is my life, if the life of Christ has raised me up from the dead after I was crucified with him, then my life should reflect his nature. You live like a human because your life reflects your human nature. Well, the Bible says that if we have been born again, we've been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, we've put away the old man and we've put away the flesh, and now we have a new nature and a new life, that is Christ, so now, what should we reflect? We should reflect that, that new nature and that new life who is Christ. And God doesn't love us more when we're more proficient and more able to manage our sinfulness. And he doesn't love us less when we fail. He loves us just the same. And in his grace, he is growing us up. Just like you don't love your children Less when they try to walk, but they fall down, do you? No. You don't love them less when they were trying to learn how to eat with a fork and a spoon and they made a mess every You don't love them less because they made a mess. No, you understood that there was a process called maturity. And you're going to walk with them through that process, through the mess, through the pain, through the suffering of growing up. And this is exactly what God does with us. So man's futile attempt to reach heaven from below symbolized man's pride and rebellion against God. Contrast that with Christ descending to the earth in the form of a man. This is not the earthly ascending to heaven. It is the heavenly descending to earth to make all things new. This is the eternal purpose of God was that he would cause his kingdom to come to earth and he would make all things new. If he's going to make all things new, that means something had to get old. To make something new, there's got to be something that got old. So God created the natural creation. He created Adam. He knew Adam would fall. He allowed Adam to fall. Why? Because God's eternal purpose was always for Christ to come. Christ 
was always the man who had walked perfectly before him. Christ was always the one that would bring the kingdom, that would usher in the kingdom. And the kingdom is here. And the kingdom's not just out here. Luke 17, Luke 21, 17 says the kingdom is here. It's in us. And if it's in us, then it should be out here. If Christ is in me, then Christ should be seen out here. If the love of God is in me, then the love of God should be seen through me, known through me. So Christ is our strong tower that descended from heaven to raise up a spiritual body from the earth. Here is man at Babel attempting to build a tower that would reach into the heaven. Yet the scripture says in Proverbs 18.10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. Jesus, the strong tower, descended to the earth for our sake and for his glory to raise up a spiritual body. Ephesians 2, 4-6 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and trespassed, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So Babel is man trying to ascend to heaven and raise himself in the flesh. Zion is heaven descending to earth and raising up man in the spirit. Babel is flesh. Zion is spirit. Babel opposes God and his Christ in the flesh. Zion is the work of God in Christ in the spirit for God's glory. So let us make for ourselves a city in a tower. We contrast that with God's plan and purpose seen in the holy Jerusalem, the city of God, the holy Zion. They also said, let us make a name for ourselves. This is the second thing they purposed to do at Babel, was to make for themselves a name. So remember, God is painting with contrast here. And the contrast here with men who would seek to make a name for themselves is with Christ who humbled himself, never seeking his own, but seeking only the Father's glory. And so it was given to him the name that is above all names. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. And let's look at Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. So God's people are to let the same mind be in us that is in Christ. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul writes these words, and he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let this mind be in you, the same mind that is in Christ, who, 
did not try, as Satan did, to take a position by violence. Jesus didn't try to take anything. Instead, Jesus humbled himself. Satan exalted himself. Nimrod and the men seen in this story of Babel are exalting themselves against God. Doing exactly what Satan did. We see Jesus who comes to this earth and he doesn't exalt himself. He humbles himself. He humbled himself to the point of death, even the death on the cross. The most cursed, the most shameful death that he could possibly die. Jesus humbles himself. And because of his humility, because he did not seek his own, it says that a name was given to him, a name that is above every other name. So Christ didn't attempt to make a name for himself, but he exalted the name of his Father in all things. And we are to have the same mind as Christ. We are to never exalt our own name. We're never to seek our own glory. We are here to make his name known. So Babel is about trying to make man's name great. Zion is the corporate people who are making God's name great. Isaiah chapter 12 verses 3 and 4 says this, Therefore with joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you shall say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his deeds among the peoples. Make mention that his name is exalted. Now, interesting, that scripture there in Isaiah chapter 12, therefore you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. That was a scripture that was key in one of Israel's seven feasts given to them originally by God. It was the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Booths was different than all the other feasts in that the Feast of Tabernacles which was a feast that signified that God would dwell among his people. All of those feasts were given, again, as shadows with a substance being held in view. Christ is the fulfillment of tabernacles. He is God who is with us, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. When was that fulfilled? It was fulfilled when Jesus Christ incarnated and came to this earth, and was born of a virgin, and was birthed in that manger. Listen, God is with us. God came to us and dwelt among us. And so at that Feast of Tabernacles that was celebrated every year, they would quote the scripture, and they would have this uh, ceremony called the water drawing ceremony. They'd go to the well of Jacob, and they draw water from, the well, from Jacob's well, you, with joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. And they would have this joyous procession and prayed all the way back up to the temple in Jerusalem. And they would take this water drawn from the well of salvation and they would pour it over the altar as a sacrifice, as, a, as, a, as an act of worship. And we see all of this fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the God who dwells among us. Not one day, but right now. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is dwelling among us because He is dwelling in you, and you are dwelling in Him. He is not far removed from us. He's not a million billion miles away up in heaven. He lives 
in you if you have been born again. The Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled in you. God, the creator of heaven and earth, dwells in you by the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ. And so, what does this scripture say? Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. In that day, you will say, praise the Lord. This is the day that we say that. This is the day that we say, praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Do you hear the scripture? Commanding you to call upon his name. Commanding you to declare deeds, his deeds among the peoples. Are you declaring his deeds among the people? Are you declaring his salvation? Do you realize what Jesus has done? Jesus has come. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus on that cross says it is finished. He finished the work. We live in the day that God tabernacles among his people. We're not waiting for that day to come. We live in that day right now. And we are commanded by the scripture to make his deeds known. What deed is that? It is the deed of the finished work of Jesus Christ that God has rent heaven and he has come down and he dwells among his people, that he has poured out his spirit on all flesh, not just prophets, not just kings, not just priests, but young women. Listen, girls, you young ladies, the Bible says the spirit of God, he'll pour out on you. Young men, the spirit of God, he'll pour his spirit upon you. Not because you're a priest, not because you're a king, not because of any of that. Young, old, rich, poor, black, white, it doesn't matter. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, He will pour out His Spirit upon you. He will tabernacle with you. And you are commanded to make His deeds known. Are we doing that? To make mention that His name is exalted. Not His name along with Many other names. No. His name alone is exalted above every other name. We're called in Christ to declare His name, to make His name known, to make His name great. God declares His name by making Himself known. How has God made Himself known? God has made himself known because he has revealed himself to you. He has revealed himself in you. This is what Paul says in Galatians. That God in his time, it pleased God to reveal Christ in him. Christ is not someone you've seen walking around down the street in your neighborhood. Christ is someone that must be revealed in you. Abraham saw something by faith and he saw something so real, so glorious that had not manifest on the earth yet, was not of the earth, was not of any temporal realm. He saw something so great, so glorious that he decided he would live in a tent the rest of his life awaiting a city whose builder and maker is God. That city has come. 
You are that city that God is building if you have been born again of the Spirit in Christ Jesus. Jesus must be revealed right here in your heart. And it is the Spirit of God that must reveal Him to you. So God declares His name by making Himself known. God gives us His name by forming Himself in us. We pray in His name when that name is the source and the substance of our prayers. Jesus is the source and substance of our prayers because Jesus is the source and substance of our life. He has given us His name that His name would be exalted. So let's go to the book of Acts and let's look at Pentecost. So if you are in Christ, you are making His name known because it's in Him you live and move and have your very being. Acts chapter 2. So Pentecost is the reversal or the antithesis of, of Babel. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read starting in verse 1. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire that one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? How is it then that we hear each in our own language that, in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in, in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygria, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Now remember, in verse 7 of Genesis 11, God said, Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So at Babel, God came down for his own purpose. God came down and confused man's language that they may not understand one another's speech, and he scattered them over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Remember when it said, let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered across the face of the whole earth. So what does that tell us? It tells us that man there at Babel, did not want to be scattered. He wanted to stay together. But God's purpose was not for man to remain in one place. God's eternal purpose was that he would scatter man over the face of all the earth. So at Babel, God came down to achieve his own purpose. And he confused their language, and he scattered them, and they ceased building the city. Now let's look at the contrast we see at Pentecost, God came down. God came down in both places. 
He came down at Babel. He confused their language and scattered them so they could not understand one another. He came down at Pentecost. And in the confusion, it says they were confused. Why were they confused? Because these were Galileans. They don't speak these, all these other languages, yet we hear them speaking uh, our native languages. How is that? That confused them. So God came down, and in the confusion, he empowered man by the Holy Spirit to hear and understand the wonderful works of God being proclaimed so that, listen, so that from the face of all the earth, God would gather into one all things in Christ. At Pentecost, he came down and there was one people and he scattered them into many. I mean, at Babel, at Pentecost, he came down and he took the many in in his purpose to bring them together into one. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, they were all with one accord in one place. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together, verse 6, and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So at Babel, God initiated the scattering of man over the face of all the earth. At Pentecost, God initiated the gathering of man from over the face of all the earth. At Babel, God prevented man from opposing his will. At Pentecost, God empowered man to live in his will by the power of his spirit. See, don't get hung up when you read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. We, we want to get hung up on all these controversial things. What does tongues mean? and What does it not mean? And are the gifts for today? Listen, let's go to the main point. The main point is God gave them a supernatural ability to understand one another even though they didn't all speak the same language. At Babel, God supernaturally gave them different languages so that they would not be able to understand one another. At Pentecost, he supernaturally gave them one hearing so that everyone with different languages could understand one another. Why? The purpose of Pentecost, the purpose of giving the Spirit is that God would gather a people from all over the face of the earth into one, into Christ. Don't get hung up on the the things that don't matter. Because what matters is what God is doing in His eternal purpose, which is gathering a people from all over the face of the earth into one holy nation. So at Babel, the work of man is performed in the weakness of the flesh. But at Pentecost, the work of God is performed in the power of the Spirit. At Babel, God confused their language so that they did not understand. At Pentecost, God empowered their hearing so that they understood in their own language the wonderful works of God being declared. Our gathering together into one people from the many seen at Pentecost is a reversal of the scattering into many peoples from the one that was seen at Babel. Now, in this present age, God is gathering together in one all things in Christ. Ephesians 1.10. Paul writes that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth. In him. So where are all things being gathered together as one? In Christ. And how is God doing that? By the works of man's flesh or by the work of his spirit? By the work of his spirit. So God's mandate from the beginning was for man to fill the earth 
with the image of God. This is why God created Adam in his own image. This is why he told Adam and Eve to go and fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply. He told Noah the same thing when Noah came off the ark onto a new earth, a new creation, so to speak. He, told, he gave him Noah the same mandate. The guys at Babel were opposing that mandate, and God says, mm-mm. So if we think that we're going to confuse and confound and oppose God's eternal purpose, we better think again, because we're not going to. I don't care how opposed you are to what God is doing. You and I in the flesh will never thwart or oppose God's plan and God's purpose. His will shall be done. Absolutely. The question is, how are you going to be used? Are you going to be used like Peter? Are you going to be used like Judas? Are you going to be used like Noah? Are you going to be used like the people that didn't make it on the ark? They're all part of God's plan and purpose. How are you going to be used? If you will call upon the name of the Lord and trust in him, the Bible says, he will save you. So at Babel, man opposed God's will to go out and fill the earth. Man purposed to build a city to reach heaven, to make a name for himself, so that he wouldn't be scattered over the face of the earth. But God's purpose was for man to be scattered abroad over the face of the earth, filling the earth with his image so that he could gather together into one all things in Christ. So we think of this like a farmer who scatters seeds so that it can be gathered together into one. A farmer goes out and he scattered seed everywhere. And then when harvest time comes, he takes that harvest and he gathers it together into his barn, into one place. And this is the image we have in the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13, 24 through 30 and 37 through 43. And Jesus says, hey, the, the field is the world. And there are the seeds that are the good seeds and there are the seeds that are the tares. They're all sown together and at the harvest, they're all going to be separated. And the tares are going to be bundled together and gathered and cast into the fire, but the harvest is going to be brought together, bundled together, and put into my barn. I don't know about you, but I want to go to God's barn. That's where I want to go. And here's the promise and the assurance that if you have called upon the name of the Lord, if you're trusting Jesus, one day you will experience that gathering together into one in Christ, in reality. It won't just be a theoretical. So in Jerusalem at Pentecost, we see God's will to gather together in one a people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And we see in Revelation 5.9 that God does this. We see the multitude in Revelation 5.9. And it says in the Bible that they're from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, worshiping the Lord. We see God's will to build a city, to adorn it as a bride that would represent the people of God. One holy nation, 1 Peter 2.9, and one holy body under one head who is Christ. This is the holy Jerusalem we see depicted descending out of heaven in Revelation 21. Jesus commissioned his church to go into the world, Matthew 28.19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, and so gather together from one, from, the, from all over the face of the earth into one, all things into Christ. This is always 
been God's glorious plan, even from the beginning of creation. So God's mandate is our mission. So in short, our mission is to make His name known as He is building His city, the Holy Jerusalem. We're called to be faithful to that work. The people of God have always been called to faithfulness. But the people of God have also always suffered from unfaithfulness. This is the picture we see in Hosea 6. Where God graphically demonstrates the unfaithfulness of Israel. And God in His grace did not leave Israel in her unfaithfulness any more than God in His grace leaves us in our unfaithfulness. Though He has torn us, He has healed us. Though He has wounded us, He has bandaged us. And it goes on to say in Hosea that He will raise us up on the third day. If that does not give us graphic portrayal of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, I don't know what does. And if you think the only person that needs to be crucified, buried, and raised again is Jesus Christ, you've got another thing coming. God in His grace will allow you to be torn and wounded, to be in an effort to be raised up in new life. He will tear you, He will wound you, but He will heal you, and He will bandage you, and He will raise you up on the third day. Has that happened to you? Have you been crucified with Christ? Paul said, oh, that I would know that I would have the fellowship of his suffering, of his death. How many of us pray that? Lord, that I could experience the fellowship of your sufferings and of your death. We don't pray that, do we? Do you know why Paul prayed that? Paul prayed that because Paul understood exactly what the prophet Hosea was talking about. Paul understood exactly what God did with Israel we see this throughout the Old Testament. Paul understood what was happening to Israel, to the church in his day, and what's still happening today. God is still bringing people to the cross to be crucified, to be buried, so that he can raise them up in the life of Christ. That is our only hope. If God doesn't tear us and wound us, to heal us and bandage us, to raise us the third day, we have no hope, church. We have no hope. I told someone the other day, a motivational sermon is not going to save anybody. What we need is the gospel to break hard hearts. Our hearts are hard. Our hearts tend to hardness. And only the gospel can break our hearts. And if God doesn't give us a new heart, do you, have you ever known anyone that's had heart surgery? I had a pastor friend who had actually had heart transplant surgery. And this is what God really does to us. God performs a heart transplant on us. And he said it was the most painful thing he's ever been through. To have heart transplant surgery. But that's exactly what God does. God gives us a heart transplant. Because unless he gives us a heart transplant, we have no hope. We're called to faithfulness. We must resist our inclination to wander from God. He keeps us in His grace and He empowers us to carry out the mission to make His name known as He builds His city, the church. Christ, who is the head of the church, His body, we are the body, He is the head. 
The Bible calls us the fullness of Him who fills all in all in Ephesians 1.23. Christ, who is our head, has commanded us. Let us obey His will, empowered by His Spirit. And in His boldness, let us see His gospel preached and lived. I cannot, I must not be the only preacher of the gospel that you know at Christ Fellowship Church. We are all called to preach, to live, to make known the gospel, to make known His name, to declare His wonderful deeds. Let us repent of our unfaithfulness. Let us go and make disciples. Let us start right here in our own heart. And let us move out from here, from our hearts. Let us move into our families, into Christ's fellowship, into this city of Taylor that we live in, in the surrounding communities and beyond. Amen? Let's pray. God, we pray that you deal with us in your grace. God, I pray that you do not allow us, your church, to live unfaithful lives in the light of your glory and grace. Do not allow us to be like those men of Babel who sought to build their own works, who sought to make a name for themselves. Lord Jesus, you promised to build your church. And what we're called to do is to make your name known. And as we make your name known, you are faithful to build the city, to establish the church that will one day, in all of its glory and splendor, descend from the heavenly. That your kingdom would come on earth even as it is in heaven. Let it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you. I just encourage you to go. You've been commissioned. You've been commanded. You've been empowered. You have everything you need to go out right now and make His name known. And as you make His name known, please understand that the only hope the world has is Jesus. So don't hide your light. Don't keep it to yourself. Bring them with you. Let's fill this place up. Let's believe God for transformation in this community, in our own lives, in our own families. Amen? Go in the name of the Lord and be blessed.